Hi, good morning. We, um, we are going to uh, continue this morning through our journey through the book of Revelation. And I was just thinking uh, during worship about how incredible this book is. Not only does it tell us and, and let us know what are the things to come, but it should also stir our hearts as Christians. We should be stirred in our hearts to want to follow the Lord harder in the days that we're living in, to live lives that are holy, that are committed unto the Lord, because that day is coming. And we will all stand one day before the Lord. And the only way that you'll stand before him in those white garments that we've read about is that you need to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to have him in your heart. You need to believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the opportunity will be there this morning for you to receive Christ because that day is coming. I, uh, if you want, turn in your Bibles uh, to Revelation chapter 8. A lot of you I know use electronics these days. And maybe some of you are real good about taking notes on tablets and things like that, and that's good. But what I like about having a Bible in hand is that if you have something to write with, I always use a pencil, but if you have something to write with, you can make notes in your Bible. Write the things that the Lord is showing you. So I encourage you in that or to take notes even on the things that are being taught. I titled this morning's message, The Trumpet Judgments, and it's really going to be part one. We're going to cover uh, verses 1 to 13, chapter 8. And I want to remind us, before we get into this chapter this morning, about an important verse that really gives us a simple three-part outline to the whole book of Revelation. It tells us in Revelation chapter 1, verse 19, Paul, or excuse me, John was instructed to write the things which you have seen and also write the things which are and also write the things which will take place after this. A three-part outline right there. You could take the whole book of Revelation and put it into that. In chapter 1, John, Jesus tells John, he says, what you see, John, in the vision that I'm going to show you, what you see, write it in a book and send it to the seven churches which are in Asia. John saw, I believe, things with his physical eyes. He had a vision of what God was revealing to him concerning things to come. In chapter 2 and 3 of Revelation, I believe these are the things which are. It was the church age that we looked at. The seven letters to the seven churches John was instructed as the Lord really dictated to John to each church what he wanted them to hear and to obey. And so chapter 2 and 3, we could say the things which are the current day, the seven churches that were there in John's day. But then the Lord instructed John to write the things which will take place after this. We looked at chapter 4. We've already gone through this chapter, but in chapter 4, verse 1, John sees a door opened up in heaven. He hears a voice from heaven that says, come up here. And the picture that we get from that is that John, whether in physical or whether it was just a vision that God was seeing, John was brought into that heavenly scene in heaven. 
And I believe, even for us as New Testament Christians, I believe that chapter 4, verse 1, is the rapture of the church. The church being removed from this earth and taken into heaven, supernaturally transformed our new bodies in heaven with the Lord forevermore. And then the seven-year tribulation period begins. These are the things that are going to be take place after this. And I believe it's after the church age of chapter 2 and 3. John sees when he is ushered into this heavenly scene, his eyes are drawn to a throne that he sees. And the one who is sitting upon the throne. In chapter 5, John is still in the heavenly throne room in this vision that he has seen. And he looks to the one who is sitting on the throne and he sees in the right hand of him a scroll that is written inside and outside, a scroll that is sealed with seven seals. And these have become known as the seven seal judgments. We see that in chapter 5, a cry goes out. Who is worthy to open the seals, to break the seals and to open the scrolls? Who's worthy to be able to do that? And we know that the only one who is, is Jesus Christ himself. Jesus is the one who breaks the seven seals and opens its content and reads it. Uh, And then those judgments come forth. In chapter 6, John then sees the Lamb. He sees Jesus Christ, the Lamb, who is worthy to open these seals. And it starts with the four horsemen that we read about. The four horsemen of the apocalypse as it's known. The first horse that came out on to the scene was the white horse. We call it the horse or the rider, really, of deception. And then the second seal is broken, and the red horse comes forth, who brings war upon this earth. And then the black horse follows, the horse that brings forth famine upon this earth. And lastly, the fourth horse, the pale horse, that brings forth death upon this earth. One quarter of the world population at the time, the church is already removed, one quarter of the world population will have died by this time. The fifth seal is broken. And John sees the souls. These are people that are still here on earth. Those that did not accept Christ before the rapture. He sees the souls of those who are on this earth who have accepted Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior during the tribulation period. But what he sees is he sees the multitude of people that have been martyred for their testimony of the, whole, of the Lord and to the word of God which they held on to. Then the sixth seal comes and it brings forth this cataclysmic events that we read about that is actually going to shake the very core of man's heart and soul. And not only that, but it says of these men that are on the earth that they're going to be calling out for the mountains and the rocks. They're going to be hiding out as these plagues are coming down upon this earth. They're going to be hiding out and calling for the mountains and the rocks to fall upon them and hide them from the face of him who sits on the throne. You finish chapter 6 of Revelation with these 
I call them fearful and awesome and terrifying words. For the great day of his wrath has come, and who will be able to stand? Every human being that has ever been birthed into this world will one day stand before God. Whether they believe in Jesus Christ or they don't, every knee is going to bow and every tongue is going to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Whether they want to or not, that day will come. In chapter 7, and we looked at this last week, I described chapter 7 as the calm before the storm. Remember, we read about the four angels. The four angels that were on the four corners of the earth. That were holding back the winds of judgment that were still to come. This was like a moment of reprieve. This was like hitting the, the stop button for a moment. And in that chapter, we see that God in His mercy, He seals 144,000 Jews, 12,000 from each of the 12 tribes of Israel. And I believe that God is going to use these servants to take the gospel message out to a world that still needs Christ. We're told that John sees in this chapter a great multitude of people that no one could number. Of all nations, tribes, peoples, and tongues. And they were all standing before the throne of God. That tells me that in the tribulation period, there are going to be many that are going to get saved. And I'm so thankful for that. But there will be many who will not. Chapter 8. We come to that this morning. And we're going to open up chapter 8 with the seventh seal. That is now going to be loosed. The seventh and final seal of that first set of judgments. That are going to come down upon this earth. We might say that the first six verses of chapter 8 are going to be the prelude to what's going to come in this next set of seven judgments called the trumpet judgments. We're only going to look at four of them this morning in our chapter. The last three trumpets, or excuse me, the first four trumpets we're going to see this morning that they're going to affect this world in more of a limited way. In maybe a smaller uh, area of the world. But the last three judgment, uh, trumpet judgments, are, which are called the woes, uh, they're going to affect the whole earth. We finish chapter 7 with a multitude of people who had been saved out of the great tribulation. They were all crying out with loud voices, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Can you imagine what it's going to be like for those tribulation saints? Those who receive really the mercy of God during this time. And they're saved during the tribulation period. How hard that's going to be that they're going to need to be, many of them, martyred for their faith in Christ. All of the angels in heaven, John sees these angels that are around the throne. He sees the elders, which I believe the elders, the 24 elders, are a picture that the church is in heaven. There's also the four living creatures which are angelic beings that are there before the, the throne. They're all falling on their faces. They're all singing and worshiping in the moment. They're praising God and they're saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom, thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. 
We're going to be part of that worship service in heaven. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be an incredible time that the whole church of all time gathered with all of the angels in heaven gathered there at the throne. And all of these tribulation saints that get saved, they're worshiping God. We come to chapter 8, verse 1 this morning. Look at your Bibles. We read in verse 1, when Jesus opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. Silence in heaven. From a time in chapter 7 of this exhilarating worship to a time of silence, a time of awe, and really a time of anticipation of what's to come. There was silence in heaven for about a half an hour. To understand this time of silence, we need to know that every Jew experienced this in the daily sacrifice, the service that went on in the earthly temple. When the priest would bring in the daily sacrifice to the altar, the service would start with musical instruments and singing. And during the whole time of the offering of the sacrifice, the people would be celebrating. But when the priest would come with the offering of incense. He would take these coals from the altar that was outside the temple. He would put it into this, this uh, hanger. This, he'd put the coals within that. He would walk into the temple with the coals within this and the incense that would be on the altar of incense that stood there in front of the uh, the holies of holies, the veil, it would be in front of that. And he would take that incense and the coals would go on that altar of incense and he would place incense on there and the smoke would go up within the temple, which was a picture of the prayers of the saints. During this time, the people that were celebrating and worshiping outside, there was this solemn silence. The people, for a period of time, would remain silent as the priest walked into the temple. Remember, I shared that chapter 7 was the calm before the storm. The calm before the storm because there was still two more sets of seven judgments that were going to be coming upon this earth. They say about a calm. They say that before a storm hits, before a tornado or a hurricane hits, it's normally preceded by a calm. There's this calm and then comes devastation. I think we've all seen the pictures of a person standing on a beach. The sun is shining. The ocean is calm at the moment. But way in the distance, and maybe you've seen this, but way in the distance, you see these black, ominous skyline that's in the distance. And it tells you this. A storm is coming. A storm is on its way. You see, as informed, and I say informed, New Testament Christians, we should all see the signs. We should see the signs as we're reading our Bibles, as we're looking at the book of Revelation. We should see the signs that are coming in our world. We should be aware that the storm is coming. 
that this day, this ominous day, this day of darkness, this day of trial and hardship and death and suffering is coming upon this world. As Jesus breaks the seventh seal, the angels and the redeemed in heaven, they're just reduced to this awesome moment of silence. They're anticipating what's going to come. The seventh seal is going to be broken. They're anticipating what that means. What's next? What's going to come forth out of this seventh seal? We can get a little bit of an idea of what that will be like in that day. Whenever the Bible speaks about a day, it's not always a 24-hour day, as we might think. A day to the Lord can be a period of time. We read in the book of Zephaniah, uh, we read about a coming day upon this world or a period of time that God is going to deal with a Christ-rejecting world. A specific period of time that is called the tribulation period. A seven-year tribulation period that is going to come upon this earth. Listen to what Zephaniah chapter 1 verse 15 says. This day will be a day of wrath. A day of trouble and distress. A day of devastation and desolation. A day of darkness and gloominess. A day of clouds and thick darkness. A day of trumpet an alarm against the fortified cities and against the high towers. I will bring distress upon men, and they shall walk like blind men, because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust, and their flesh like refuse. Neither their silver nor their gold shall be able to deliver them In the day of the Lord's wrath. For the whole land will be devoured by the fire of his jealousy. For he will make speedy riddance of all those who dwell in the land. Some have seen this half hour that we read about in verse 1. As a breathing space for what's to come. A time that the angels themselves and all who are in heaven become silent before what's now going to be unleashed upon this earth. As I've shared numerous times, I'm a literalist when it comes to reading my Bible. If it's a symbol if it's something that is meant to be just an allegory, a symbol, or something, then it's going to tell me somewhere in God's Word, usually in the context, but sometimes you'll find it in other places. But if you do not see any interpretation for what you're reading, then be a literalist. Take it for what it says. Read your Bible And even if you don't completely understand what that could be, just take it for what it is. Look at verse 2 in our text. John says, I saw the seven angels who stand before God. He sees these seven angels that are standing before the throne of God. And to them were given seven trumpets. First off, it's important for us to note that the one giving these trumpets out, it doesn't tell us. I would say it's probably God giving to his, these seven angels, these trumpets 
that they're going to announce these coming judgments. The word angel, or angels in plural, is found 75 times throughout the book of Revelation. God uses and will use angels during this time. Servants, they're referred to as. And we see these 75 times. Not all those times, by the way, are good angels. Some of those times are fallen angels that we find in the book of Revelation. These seven angels, they appear to be ones who have been given a special privilege. Can you think of the multitude of angels in heaven? And God has seven of them standing before the throne. And each one is handed a trumpet. John sees these seven angels with these seven trumpets in hand. And for John and for the Jews, that wasn't an issue. Because they had seen and heard many times the trumpet being blown. They had heard and seen many times the shofar being blown. And it was something that was common to them, common to the Jew, something that they were used to hearing. And we know of trumpets that trumpets throughout Scripture are used to sound an alarm. They're to warn the people that something is coming. They were used to prepare soldiers for battle. And here we see these seven angels that have these seven trumpets in hand that upon their command they are to blow that trumpet which will unleash another trial, another purpose or another trial upon this earth. Remember in Revelation chapter 4, Remember, we already read that when John heard that voice, that door opened in heaven, come up here. We're told that he heard a voice at that point. It says that it was like a trumpet speaking with me, saying, come up here and I will show you the things which must take place after this. Like a trumpet. The voice, like a trumpet. But before we read verses 3 to 5 in our text, I want to give you a little bit of a picture of this heavenly tabernacle that we're really seeing here in chapter 8. You see, there is a earthly tabernacle that existed in Israel's history. But there's also a heavenly tabernacle that we read about here in the book of Revelation. But listen to what the book of Hebrews says in chapter 9, verse 11. We read, But Christ came as high priest, and it says this, of the good things to come, with the greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is, not of this creation, And so there is going to be a heavenly tabernacle that's in heaven. That's where these angels are standing before the throne. John saw in heaven what he knew of here on earth. John knew of the tabernacle. He knew all the contents within that tabernacle, what were there. And John is seeing this vision of these Seven angels before the throne. A heavenly tabernacle. The temple scene, we could call it. The new heavenly sanctuary that they were in. Look at your Bibles at verse 3. Then the angel, or another angel, having a golden censer. He came and he stood at the altar. He was given much incense that he should offer it with the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. 
and the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints, we're told that it ascended before God from the angel's hand. That's what John is seeing. This angel or another angel, this isn't Jesus. This is just another angel that is brought in with this golden censer in hand. He's another angel of the same kind that were holding the trumpets. Another angel with the golden censer comes there with this incense and these coals and this, this burning coals within this censer as he holds it in his hand. And he walks to the throne. This golden censer that would hold the coals from the altar outside that was burning hot coals would be brought in and that priest would put that incense with the burning coals which would create this aroma and these just up in the temple. That's what John is seeing here in heaven. The golden altar. The smoke of the incense. Which are the prayers of the saints. And they're ascending to God. And so what are these prayers? And why here and why now? It, is, it tells us that they added much incense in other words, more incense, more, if you want to say, more prayers that were added. We're told in verse 3 that he, was, that he was given much incense or this added incense, which could be even the prayers of the tribulation saints. Those prayers that have gone up from them, that are being added to the, all the prayers. Just think of all of your prayers all those prayers that you've prayed now that you haven't even seen the fulfillment of. The loved ones that you're praying for. The people that and prayers that you have lifted up before your God. These are going to be the prayers of the saints. They're going to be rising before God. Some believe that the incense being offered was showing God's acceptance of their prayers. Do you know that every prayer that you ever have lifted up before God, God answers? I hope you believe that. He may have answered you no. And sometimes he answers you yes. You see, God will always answer every prayer that you lift before him. You don't always get it because we don't always want the answer that he gives us. But God answers. It's either yes, no, or wait. We don't like the no's and we don't typically like the wait, but we like when those prayers are answered, don't we? King David he said in Psalm 141, verse 2, he says, let my prayer be set before you as incense, the lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. Back in Revelation chapter 5, we've already seen this in the heavenly scene. Jesus had taken the scroll the four living creatures and the 24 elders all falling down before the Lamb. And we're told each having a harp. And we're told that they had golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And so it could be in chapter 8 here that we have the church age saints and their prayers, the tribulation saints and their prayers all coming before God. We're going to see the fulfillment, I believe, even maybe in some of our prayers now for people that we've prayed for that could be saved during this tribulation period. Oh, how they need our prayers. 
those that are rejecting Christ, those family members that keep telling you no, those family members that think you're nuts for following Jesus like you do and being a part, pray, keep praying for them. I believe that when we get to heaven someday, that our understanding of the righteous judgments of God, they're going to be known in a greater way. We're limited right now. We read all of these things that we read in the book of Revelation and even what we read out of Zephaniah and Joel. We read these things and just the, the, the judgments that are going to come upon this earth. And it's hard for us to really sometimes wrap our head around it. But we know that our God is a God of love. We know that our God is a God of justice and righteousness. And that he's going to deal with mankind fairly. God is not willing that any would perish. But that all would come to repentance. He's a God of love. But he's also a God of righteousness. And justice. And God must judge sin. But in that day when we're all in the presence of the Lord. We're in our glorified bodies in heaven with the Lord. All of these prayers that we've lifted up for our whole time here on earth. Praying for God's mercy upon individuals. Praying for those that have rejected him that we know and love. We're going to come to a place of understanding that God's righteous judgments must come to pass. That God will bring these things to pass. And we will be able to rejoice in that day in God's righteous judgments. The prayers of these tribulation saints... You think about those of them that are martyred for their faith during that time when they were crying out, how long do we have to wait until you execute judgment against those who have martyred us? The prayers of the tribulation saints going up before God. The petitions. Looking ahead. To Revelation chapter 15 verse 3. This is the bowl judgments. This is the last set of judgments that we read in Revelation. When they're poured out. We see those in heaven singing a song. And listen to the words of their song. Great and marvelous are your works Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways O King of the Saints. Who shall not fear you, O Lord, and glorify your name? He's asking the question. For you alone are holy. For all nations shall come and worship before you. And then look what it says. For your judgments have been manifested. It's going to be brought to light in that day. That his judgments are righteous and true. In verse 5, we now see this angel that holds this censer in his hand. It says that the angel took the censer. He filled it with fire from the altar. And the angel threw it to the earth. And there were noises, thunderings, lightnings, and an earthquake. And by the way, this is the second earthquake so far in the book of Revelation. There's two more that are going to come. The last earthquake that's recorded under the, uh, the last set of judgments is going to be an earthquake that is felt by this world that has never been felt before nor will ever be. I've lived in California and 
earthquake country. I felt some earthquakes. This is going to make those earthquakes seem small. This angel throws the coals from this censer, this censer upon the earth, and these noises, thunderings, and lightnings in an earthquake come forth. Which I believe each one of those words speak about the judgment of God that's to come. An earthquake that's going to shake, and there's really that does nothing more than to shake the very core of a man or a woman is when this earth begins to shake. Feeling of helplessness in that day. So these seven angels, we read in verse 6, who had the seven trumpets, were told that they prepared themselves to sound. After the censer was thrown to the earth, this was all the prelude to what we're reading here now in verse 6. These seven angels who had the seven trumpets in hand, prepared themselves to sound. You see, these angels, they know that the day of vengeance has come. They're fully prepared as God's servants to sound those trumpets. Just think of what that would be like, knowing that these are judgments that are going to come forth. These angels, as they began to blow these trumpets, knowing what it's going to unleash upon this earth. It says that they prepared themselves to sound. They know that the righteous judgments that are about to come upon this earth, that they're just and right. It's possible that the sounding of these angels' trumpets is a response to the prayers of the saints. The prayers of the saints, the incense that is offered up and gone up before God. In verse 7, we see the sounding of the first angel. The first angel sounded, and we're told that hail and fire followed, mingled with blood, and they were thrown to the earth. A third of the trees were burned up, and all green grass was burned up. The vegetation of the earth. And even included in that, the supply of food. This hail and fire followed the sounding of the trumpet. It was mingled with blood. I first want to remind you that I'm teaching this book of Revelation from a viewpoint of a literal interpretation. I think it's best read that way when we read our Bible. Best read in a literal sense. And I say this because... Some of us know this, that have studied the book of Revelation, read different authors on end times events. There's a a lot of speculating that goes on when it comes to the book of Revelation. There's a lot of sensationalism that goes on when it comes to interpreting these various things throughout the book of Revelation. I believe that speculation as you read the book of Revelation, for the most part, it's just satisfying the curiosity of those that are reading it. We're trying to figure it out with our head. What is is this that's happening right now? What does this judgment actually look like? And you know what? Speculation is okay. As long as you say that here's a speculation, of maybe what this could be. 
but you're not teaching it as true. That's what I try to stay away from myself. I'm not going to teach something as a truth if it really doesn't tell me what it is. If a passage is symbolic, but it doesn't reveal its meaning to you in the text, then I think you're better off to leave it alone and take it and read it literally and let it just stand on its own. You see, it doesn't change anything, does it? It just simply means I'm not going to speculate upon it. When we read in our Bibles about the plagues that came upon Egypt, how many of you, when you read your Bible about the plagues that came down upon the Pharaoh and the Egyptians, you read it and you take the plagues that came down upon it as literal? Okay? There's a lot of people that don't. Sounds like most of you are literalists. It's, it says what it says. And you believe that God did that even in a miraculous way. And so it's interesting that some people and some commentators, they approach the plagues upon Egypt that way. But when it comes to the book of Revelation, their minds just start spinning, I think. And they come up with a lot of speculation. We need to be careful. Just when you read your word, Read it at face value, unless God tells you something within the text that would tell you this is a symbol. This, you know, it, it'll tell us. And, and, and I'm okay with reading these things and knowing that what I'm reading is divine. It's divine judgment from God. It's supernatural. Is your God supernatural? Is he divine? Can he do things that you can't wrap your head around? That'll help if he is. You see, miracles defy your logic, don't they? They actually defy the laws of nature. That's a miracle. It's been said that if, you know, you can explain a miracle, then it's probably not a miracle. Because true miracles... They defy logic. They defy the laws of nature themselves. And that's what I think we see as we go through these supernatural events that are going to come upon this world. We're told that this first trumpet blast brings forth hail. And fire followed. And it will be mingled with blood. And then we're told that they were all thrown to the earth. Hail mingled with fire and blood. If I were to look at that and, and say, what is that? I'm just going to say, I know what hail is. When you, you ever been caught in a hailstorm? You know what hail is. But fire and then mingled with blood. That sounds like something I'm, I'm trying to picture what that even looks like. But in this verse, hail and fire mingled with blood, it could be the people that are being killed by the hail mingled with blood. That's a possibility. It's a speculation. But we're told that one-third of the trees and all of the grass are burned up. Literal? Taking it that this is something that God is bringing upon this earth? That's the way I read it. God uses this same similar judgment of hell in Revelation chapter 16, verse 21. It says this. This is all under the bold judgments or the vile judgment. It says... A great hail from heaven is going to fall upon men. Each hailstone about the weight of a talent. The weight of a talent would make one of those hailstones somewhere between 75 and 100 pounds each. Men were told because of this hail will blaspheme God 
because of the plague of the hell. Since the plague was exceedingly great. Now, when I read my Bible, I take it literal. This is going to be a supernatural hailstone by God. And people were told that because of its exceedingly great, they're going to blaspheme God. They're not turning in repentance. They're blaspheming God because of the plague that is coming upon them. I've never seen a hundred pound hailstone. I don't think you have either. But is our God supernatural? Is our God able to do, I mean, read the plagues upon Egypt. Can you wrap your head around those? Here we have and we read that there's going to be hail and fire followed, or fire following and mingled with blood. The prophet Joel, 2,800 years ago, predicted this day. He says in Joel 1.15, Joel 115, Alas for the day, for the day of the Lord is at hand. It shall come as destruction from the Almighty. It is not the food cut off from before your eyes, joy and gladness from the house of the Lord, the seeds shrivel under the clods. Storehouses are in shambles. Barns are broken down. For the grain is withered. How the animals groan. The herds of cattle are restless because they have no pasture. Even the flocks of the sheep suffer punishment. O Lord, to you I cry out. For fire has devoured the open pastures. And a flame has burned all of the trees of the field. The beasts of the field also cry out to you. For the water brooks are dried up. And fire has devoured the open pastures. I believe a prophecy looking forward. To this day in the tribulation period. The second angel sounds. In verse 8, then the second angel sounded and something like a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea and a third of the sea became like blood and a third of the living creatures in the sea died and a third of the ships were destroyed. How do you read that? You could do a lot of speculating about that, couldn't you? It doesn't say... It says that it's like what John saw was like a great mountain or like a huge mountain burning with fire and then thrown into the sea. Some have said there's a volcano spewing fire into the sea and the creatures in the sea die from it and the third of the ships are destroyed by it. But it doesn't say that. It says that a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into the sea. Some have speculated that this is a meteor or an asteroid. That it breaks through Earth's atmosphere and is burning with fire and it hits the sea. Again, it's, it's, it's a speculation. For me to say that that's what it is. But this is what I know. What God says he's going to do. He's going to do. There's going to be a huge object. Like a mountain. That's going to be thrown into the sea. This great object. We're told. When it hits the sea. A third of the sea becomes blood. A third of the sea creatures die. And a third of the ships are destroyed. That sounds to me like something huge that is hitting the sea. Impacting the sea. Possibly creating tidal wave. It's interesting. I, I went on to see how many ships are in the world. How many registered ships in the world? 
you look back to 1981, that's the record I found, there were 8,289 merchant ships that were registered at the time. I'm sure that number is a lot larger now. But a third of them, 2,763 ships, destroyed. As this huge object hits the ocean, the sea. What's that going to do to the world? What impact will that have upon mankind? The third angel sounds his trumpet. The third angel sounded and a great star fell from heaven, burning or blazing like a torch. It fell on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters became Wormwood. And many men died from the water because it was made bitter. Some have said that this star that's falling and falling from heaven is, is Satan himself. But I don't see that here because we read about Satan being thrown out of heaven in chapter 9. We're going to see that. And it personalizes it him. It calls him he as a star cast down. Here it doesn't say he. He says, I saw a star, a great star fall from heaven, burning and falling on a large area of the earth, possibly a major water source. And, and in some way, it's creating something in the water that pollutes the water and makes it deadly to drink. And we're told that many men died from the bitter water. Can you imagine that? Poisoned water and the source of water polluted. And if it is, in fact, some kind of a asteroid or some kind of something that meteorite something that hits the water and causes that to the water it's possible the springs of water the fountains the well the this water that sustains life polluted so that people are dying from drinking it wormwood it's interesting that actually in the Hebrew, the Hebrew word for torch there in ancient times, it was used actually for meteors and comets in the day. And so it's real possible. Verse 12, and we're drawing close. The fourth angel sounded, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars so that a third of them were darkened. A third of the day did not shine. And likewise the night. And so we see at the sounding of the fourth angel, the, the fourth trumpet, the sun and the moon and the stars, one third of them, their light source being diminished. Isaiah, he prophesied the darkening of all three of these sources during the day of the Lord. Isaiah chapter 13, verse 9 and 10. Behold, the day of the Lord comes, cruel with both wrath and fierce anger, to lay the land desolate, and he will destroy its sinners from it. For the stars of heaven and their constellations will not give their light, the sun will be darkened in its going forth, and the moon will not cause its light to shine. Can you imagine a day that's diminished, the light sources that we have diminished by a third? Shorter days? And we know that the Lord, even on the cross, how the whole earth became darkened. Who's in control? God's in control of these things. Joel 3.15 says that the sun and the moon will grow dark 
and the stars will diminish their brightness. And then in verse 13, And I looked, John says, and I heard an angel. Some translations might read an eagle. But I heard an angel flying through the midst of heaven, saying with a loud voice, Woe, woe, woe to the inhabitants of the earth. Because the remaining blasts of the trumpet of these three angels who is about to sound. Again, it's almost like a a little bit of a reprieve for a moment for something that now is going to be a worldwide event that is going to affect and what we're going to see when we get into these woe judgments is that all of this now is going to turn demonic. And what's going to happen on this earth is going to be a demonic onslaught against the peoples of this earth that don't know Christ. Whenever you see a woe in Scripture, it's meant to cause us to sit up and take notice about what's about to happen. These woes are directed at the inhabitants of the earth. But we need to keep in mind, we need to remember that our God, His righteous judgments, His justice, It's fair. It's right. It must happen. Do you want your God to be just and fair and righteous in all of his righteous judgments? We do that all the time now, don't we? We want people that have violated somebody to be brought to justice. And why would we not want our God to do the same? If you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus as Lord and Savior, please come up and see me. If you're not born again, if you do not have the Spirit of God dwelling in you, if you've never invited Him to come in to forgive you of your sin, come into your heart by His Holy Spirit, if that's never happened, even if you've been a good church attender, even if you've gone to church your whole life, if you're not born again, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, this is what I believe. If the rapture happens today, you will be left behind. You will be left to endure what we're reading about here in the book of Revelation. It doesn't mean that you won't be able to accept Christ during that time. But if you can't accept Him now, How would you think it will be during the tribulation time when all of this is coming down upon this earth to receive Christ? I say do it now. Make sure in your heart so that when the Lord returns, in that moment in the twinkling of an eye, you're going to be ready to meet the Lord in the air. Father, I thank you for this church. I thank you for those that you brought here this morning. You brought them, I believe, by divine appointment. Even if they're regularly attending this church, they're here this morning to hear this word from you. It's your word. It's the Bible. It's the word of God. And Lord, I pray that it will have an effect upon us. I pray that our hearts and those of us that do know Jesus Christ, that our hearts would be stirred afresh. That as we read these things, we'll be compelled to want to be a witness, to tell people, to warn people, to pray for people that they might know him. God, would you do a fresh work in our hearts this morning. If there needs to be repentance in our heart that we would get things right, 
and our heart with you. That we would know and be unashamed when we stand before you in that day. Father, we just thank you for the gift of salvation, for redeeming us from our sin, for making a way of escape. And Lord, we thank you for it. And we praise you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's all stand.